guitar? Yeah, there we go. Um, that'll suffice for today's guest, Doug Swiatecki. I hope I'm saying that right because Doug and I have about 40 minutes until we chat and record. And I hope we have plenty of time. This is going to be one of those times where I sit back, ask some questions, and just let Doug talk. A lot like when I have Ted Long on. Uh, who hopefully you see a whole lot more of now. He does uh, an Around the 419 feature with James Starks. Congrats to James, the morning anchor on 13 with Sashim. He's going to be a dad through some people. I know his wife, so congratulations to them. Uh, but just like Ted is Ted is Toledo PD, Doug, I'm going to say this to him and try to make it more eloquent when we, when we record. And I'll obviously get his thoughts on this. We're going to talk a lot about jazz. And you know, I'm hyped up for this, for the Brick Bar on Wednesdays and Lucille's at Toll House because... I can't say it enough. Every time I say, I miss Degage and everything about it. And this is before I could even get to Rusty's and Murphy's, you can take a drink. Um, Doug's going to talk about jazz. He might know more. I'll save that for Doug. Uh, first up, something literally a couple hundred yards from where I'm sitting. The first story today in the Blade News slide, Toledo Council, residents debate South Toledo Affordable Housing Project. And I know how that can be a, a neon light term. Um, I can see why certain people on council, uh, Matt Cherry seems to be against it. That, uh, let's see. There's plenty of places in South Toledo put workforce housing that's not an existing shopping mall lot where children might be put in harm's way. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. Uh, I'll come back to Councilman Hobbs' quote and go forward to Rob Ludeman, who used to be on council. He's a real estate agent. Uh, he was on council for a long, long time. His was... His quote on Wednesday told the Blade that the area already has an oversaturation of apartments and putting a new complex within the shopping center is the dumbest idea I've ever seen on all my years on council. Affordable housing raises the antenna of people, but I think they're misunderstanding it. Um, And I'll put it this way. I, I had to get an explanation from a friend that listens to the podcast connecting me with someone who can in detail uh, explain affordable housing. And I think there might be a misunderstanding when I... Th- especially in this area. And there, I'm looking at apartments right now. And if I, when I leave work and make a right onto burn, there's more apartments. So I understand that there are a lot of apartment complexes here. Um, but if you go around this neighborhood, I'm going to guess that many of the people who might have trouble with the phrase affordable housing, it actually might apply to them. This is not an affluent area. When I drive around in and off the arteries of the major roads, Heather Downs, Glendale, and Burn uh, Airport, there are no boats and driveways. This is as middle class as a neighborhood gets. It's part of the reason why I like I live. I mean, technically, I am a South Toledo resident. I call it Southwest Toledo, but I'm seven minutes from where I'm sitting right now, where I live. This is my neighborhood. Um, I like it because it's diverse. It's not super affluent, and just like every other neighborhood, there are really, really great spots. There's some really, really bad spots. Um, but I think affordable housing makes people in the neighborhoods within a couple hundred yards of where I'm sitting, oh, there's going to be crime and drug use and loud kids. and No, 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 no. Again, I think many of the people, and I could be wrong, but I bet I'm pretty close. I bet a lot of the people in this area would fit the needs or requirements to live in affordable housing. I don't know how many $200,000 or $150,000 or $110,000 family incomes there are in this neighborhood. I could be very wrong. Also, to the misunderstanding, to Councilman Hobbs's point, um, 
he kind of beat around the bush around about people beating around the bush. Um, Councilman Ho- John Hobbs is black. There's an underlying factor here that nobody's willing to state. And again, uh, to put that in bright lights, I think some people think affordable housing means black people. So it can mean it, it means everyone. Uh, but again, I think there's a great misunderstanding and the wrong stigma with affordable housing. There is another quote that struck me aside from uh, the ones I've already mentioned, and let me find it. Actually, I took this picture and posted it on the Facebook page today from Councilperson uh, Sir Sandra McPherson. Said that she realizes while some residents are upset, they should look at the bigger picture. We've got to look at people not having affordable housing. And there are plenty of those people because of the way prices have shot up. And if you've seen things, real wages are not where they should be because, of, as we've talked about, um, inflation has gone up much more than the raises you may or may not have gotten. But I've said before, and the last time I said it when I was speaking to the police academy, the, the, the cadet, cadets, uh, you, you're not taught to say to people, hey, you got to calm down. Just can you calm down? And they, thankfully, they, they said no. Because if the first time calm down or will you calm down ever works, uh, the next or the next time calm down uh, works will be the first time. Don't try to say calm down. It never works. Similarly, as someone who says and does their best to look at the big picture, look at the long view, look at the long game. What is it? I still love that billboard that I used to see on 75 all the time for construction. This was years ago now. Um, short-term pain, long-term gain. Most people, if not all people, cannot or are unwilling to see the big picture. And those that those that do or will accept change, like this is a pretty creative, unconventional idea. Um, and for anybody that's afraid that it's going to scare off potential businesses or whatever in the future, well, what's there now? Ernest is coming. There's a Planet Fitness. There's a couple of, there's a rent-a-center there. But it's not exactly a booming place for business, mixed use, living, and otherwise. So again, as we are in these difficult times, let's experiment. Let's try unique ideas because what's happening there right now, um, it would be very hard if kids were playing in that parking lot, which I never see them, for any of them to ever be hit because there's no one ever in that parking lot at all. Shout out to Ola's, a great Cuban spot, which I hear is coming along nicely. If people attempt to see the big picture, they can't often see the forest through the trees. The trees are blocking the long view. Uh, if and when they accept change, they often want it immediately. They can't see that 475, the widening project that is at long last over between airport and central. When you first heard about it and getting the, the, new, the new door interchange, people were like, oh God, this is, this is going to inconvenience me so much for such a long time. Yeah, and, and, and it did. But for the next several decades, it's going to be a lot better for commuting. Um, people who say they can accept change often want it too quickly. So I'm going to be careful just as when I say, hey, hey you got to calm down because it never works. I'm going to be careful to suggest, hey, you have to look at the big picture because it's so hard to do so because I get it. If you're a happy South Toledo resident within a mile of where I'm sitting, you're probably pretty content with things in your life. And there hasn't been that much change in this area. And while you might not be super happy, you're good. And you think that any change could take away from some of that good. I completely understand that. Um, 
but maybe just give it some rope and you might be quite surprised and peel back from your biases just a little bit. You could be wrong. You could be wrong. And personally, as again, someone who is a neighbor and might walk over to that shopping center a heck of a lot more, uh, is very much looking forward to that project. So I'm guilty of it at times, but when we can't see the bigger picture, it's awful. It's often for self-preservation and selfishness, and we have to get past those things. Let's get to Doug Swiatek. very excited to listen to him with you for the next however long we talk. Before anything, thank you so much. Um, I was going to offer you an invite. I'm now allowed to have guests again, but it was a little last minute, and it's going to be a, uh, a messy day later on, but uh, thank you for taking the time. I am, I am very much looking forward to chatting with you. I have been on quite a jazz buzz and high over the last handful of months with some of the um, the new things that we have well yeah that's that's great that's yeah. all, is you're a convert to jazz or have you been a fan you know for for the duration i that's hard to say and actually let let me ask you that question so i i'm 43 years old um I began to get into it um, deeper into adulthood. And and this is coming from somebody who has worked in pop music radio for their entire life. And maybe I just, uh, I always appreciated it. And then I sought out new music experiences. I even delved into a little bit of classical. Um, And then I started to go out to places where jazz music was being performed in some of the bars and restaurants. And I really, really like the vibe going back to my buzz of why it's great to have brick bar doing Wednesdays and Lucille's. Oh yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Let me ask you, how come jazz, um, as such a great heritage that has here in this country, hasn't really penetrated pop culture like some other music forms? Well, I mean, I guess that depends on your, your your historical frame. I mean, uh, at one time, jazz was pop culture, and uh, you know you couldn't. It was everywhere. It pervaded you know every aspect of life, and and um, you know if you were born in, in a certain era, uh, you, you know I would say I'm just going to pick a I'm just going to pick something out of the air. Uh, let's say if you were born in 1900, uh, you know. I would I would say ragtime, you know, for especially for the younger people, you know, might have dominated their listening options at that point. And then, you know, you had folks born a little later, like say 19, 1909 or nineteen ten, around the time that Art Tatum was born. Those folks came to the fore just as ragtime was waning, and you know, jazz really burst onto the scene, so to speak, in nineteen seventeen. And then everyone born in that era. You know, I mean, jazz was their preferred music. I mean, you know, uh, maybe there were a lot of music schools that taught classical and this and that, but jazz was the entire culture of America during that time frame. I mean, that's why the 1920s are called the Jazz Age. And even afterward, uh, you know, the emergence of swing, which is a branch of jazz, all those guys born, you know, let's say uh, what we call the greatest generation now, those those guys, I mean, they lived and breathed this stuff, and dancing was, you know, uh, to this music was a, you know, more than just a pastime. It was, you know, a, a, almost a fanatical passion with these people, and so it was part of our culture. It drove our culture, and then I would say 
there was a little group in Liverpool, England that formed in 1960s, and, <laughs> and then they, they burst onto the scene in 64 nationally, and, and that, you know, the boomers, the, 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 you know, those, that generation that was born, let's say 1946 and afterward, I mean, Elvis, you know, primed the pump, and then, and rock and roll, and then the Beatles just blew the doors off, and, and you know, it was, they were looking for their own rebellious music and that was rock and roll and the Beatles and and it you know jazz declined and rock became ascendant at that time um, there were other factors involved of course you know uh, one of the things that we had in America that we don't have so much now is live music and and you'll you know go wait what what do you mean and I, I want you to think about this uh, when you walked into a bar restaurant hotel what have you any time, let's say from 1900 onward, uh, there would have been a piano at the minimum, the bare, bare minimum, and it was expected. Live music was expected at dinner, you know, when you were in the restaurant, when you were in the club, and, and frequently it was trios and, and, and quartets, and you know, even, of course, the big band era, everybody had to have a big band. And, and so uh, America was, you know, in just engaged with live music and jazz was everywhere in these places and so we had that here in Toledo I mean you know you couldn't go into a place like oh let's just pick a I'm just gonna pick something off the top of my head the Park Lane the Park Lane Hotel featured you know jazz for years and it was a really popular stop and I'm just picking that because it was a big venue but we could talk about the Secor Hotel or you know you know you name it and and so these places were you know insanely popular you can hear me okay now everything Ab cool absolutely yeah 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 um Absolutely. yeah you were uh, you were answering all of my questions and um i actually i wanted to to say something at the outset of the interview um and of all the people that know things about Toledo, about arts and culture and history um yeah. there might not be anybody that knows jazz uh, there isn't anybody here that knows jazz like you do. And of all the things and, and people that know these things in our area, you might be at the top of that list as far as acumen with what you know. Um, you are you are Toledo Jazzopedia. Well, thank you. <laughs> you're, I, I'm not, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, but I mean, what, you know, what can I tell you? I mean, there's so much about Toledo's jazz and jazz history, and it's, it's you know, uh, what, you know... I, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. What, what, what would you like to go into? Well, you, you were dipping into some of the questions that I had, and I think people will find this really fascinating. You mentioned some places where now a lot of people happen to live and, and not where, which is maybe the most uh, resided in where I know a lot of people, the Commodore Perry, also the Hillcrest. Um, I've got mm -hmm. friends in both places and uh, like the other places that you had mentioned, these places were all massive jazz hubs, right? Oh yeah, and then, and then some. Uh, every, everyone, the, the Hillcrest had big bands, you know, dancing even into the '60s. I mean, it was huge, and you know, the Commodore Perry had I don't know how many rooms, and they would have uh, you know a featured band every night, uh, you know, in different rooms, and there would be dancing or jazz, and this goes right back into its history, you know, to its founding, and uh, you know, there were so many places in Toledo. I mean, these are the big spots, right? Yeah. We were talking about the, I don't know where we cut off before, but we were talking about the Trianon. Yes. And, 
2,000, 3,000 people a night, uh, you know, uh, but can you imagine? And, and that's from the time it opened, uh, you know, and, and every weekend. And, uh, you know, it was just a, you know, a, a legendary in Toledo. Another place we had was the Kenwa Low. And, and that's been gone a long time. It was on Cherry Street. But uh, uh, who would, uh, Ella Fitzgerald came here and to perform at the Kenwa Low. She was booked here, I think it was the late 50s. And, and uh, I think the admission price uh, was $3, maybe three fifty, something like that. And people were, you know, askance at, at the cost of, <laughs> of, you know, and now, you know, my God, you know, Bobby Darren performed there, you know, and it had a house band and, uh, and it was one of the few places around that had, uh, uh, the, the, uh, orchestra or the band would go downstairs, uh, below the building and it had a hydraulic lift that would lift the band up to start the, to, to start the show. And, uh, it actually had floor shows every night, you know, as, as many places did back in the day. Does, does, uh, and that's just one. Um, if you ask a common person from the Midwest or, or beyond, they, they, maybe they know the mud hens or they've heard the, you know, like windy city or the big apple, mm-hmm. like we're the glass city. Um, maybe there's some Nash references, younger people, you know, Katie Holmes, um, yep. And we're growing things now, like our art museum. Do just looking into, and when I look up uh, you and Toledo and jazz, like like you are everything. Every link goes back to I think your newsletter with some form of information. Does Toledo get a short shrift when it comes to being an incredible jazz hub over time? Absolutely. Okay. I, I, yeah. I in fact, I, I won't say the author's name, but an author. Uh, said something. Uh, this is wrote wrote a, a, a book, and um, and then was replying in an article to one of something he said. And the guy was from Toledo, and he said, "Well, Toledo will never be in the top ten jazz cities." And and I, I you know, I, I I would I would say that that's not true. Uh, I, I would say that Toledo has had a tremendous jazz history far deeper and far wider than most people know or, or recognize, including scholars. We've been, we've been just in books, even in the ragtime era, uh, going back even into that. And it's just not true. Uh, we had, you have to understand, uh, to, to frame Toledo in the jazz era. And I'm, t- I'm, I'm speaking, let's just speak from 1917 onward. Uh, we had, we were a major railroad hub, we had, you know, over a million people a month passing through here, just in a, you know, on the railroad. And, and so we had all of these people in Toledo and they needed someplace to go. And by 1917, jazz was exploding and we had musicians and people moving here and shows in every venue and including in illegal, uh, uh, liquor establishments, even before prohibition, I mean, Toledo had many, many blind tigers and many after hours joints and, and they were jamming. I mean, jazz was a thing, man. And so, uh, we had, you know, Louis Armstrong visiting here and Fletcher Henderson and, you know, and I could go on and on. I mean, where, how do we think a guy like Art Tatum who, who taught himself, he did have a piano teacher, but a guy like Art Tatum had to have a, a really 
rich environment to go into to to become what he became, you know, and and the joints he would go to at night, uh, you know, he came up in the age of prohibition. Well, guess what? None of those joints were were in the phone book. You know, right. you're not going to go and look <laughs> up a speakeasy in the phone book. But that's what people flooded to these things. And, and so we had a man named Eddie Bearfield who lived across the street from Art Tatum, became famous in his own right, uh, said that, you know, he learned to play in Toledo from Art Tatum and from the bars that he, he played in with Art Tatum. And, and that's just one example, and I, I, I delve into this in my book. So, yeah, Toledo has gotten, uh, you know, uh, needs to have a, a deeper look taken at it in terms of its jazz history. That's what I'm doing with my book, and that's why it's taking so long for me to get this book done, um, because I, want, I really want to phrase it and, and put the book, the focus on the book, not only on Toledo, but on the jazz and to do that, you really have to get into the woodwork and, and, and look at the clubs and the people and who was moving here and why. I mean, you know, the Great Migration, uh, you know, brought a whole cadre of African-American people to Toledo that we, you know, have forgotten about. And, mm-hmm. and maybe they weren't jazz people in and of themselves, but their children, you know, drove an entire era of jazz here. Uh, you know, before we uh, we move forward in time a little bit, um, you mentioned some names that have that have been here that that people who are just music fans likely know: uh, Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, um, Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, the the icons of of jazz, mm-hmm. and certainly. Um, you can speak to this. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Art Tatum arguably belongs in there. He was a, a, a jazz pianist treasure, and he was a native Toledo. And I came across something this morning uh, from last year that his home is being renovated more into a historical spot. Can you talk about Art Tatum a little bit? Yeah. So uh, Art, Art Tatum grew up, was born in Toledo, and uh, grew up here and went to school here in Toledo, Ohio. And Art Tatum. You know, let's start it just with a real uh, 10,000 foot statement. Um, there is no doubt among most jazz musicians that Art Tatum is the greatest pianist, uh, in, at least of the jazz idiom in, in history. N- nobody surpasses him. People get close or maybe, maybe, you know, come like within a, a hair's breadth of being as good as Art Tatum. But uh, in his era, he, he blew people's minds when they heard him. I mean, they, they couldn't even comprehend what they were hearing. And so he was educated in Toledo school system. And, and uh, he did have a piano teacher here. But by and large, the piano teacher that he had was teaching him classical, not jazz. So his jazz education happened in the clubs of Toledo. And, and uh, his parents were very religious, but at the same time they had a certain flexibility and he was allowed, you know, to go out and, and, you know, sort of do his thing. And you, you couldn't have done that in a, in a town that didn't have a vital jazz and a, a really booming jazz uh, environment. And that's what Toledo had. I mean, it was linked to our industrial heritage, which was, we were, we were booming. I mean, we don't, it's, it, they're almost linked. That energy of jazz is linked to, the economic vibrancy that that the city had, which we, I mean, you know, not just the Willie's plant, but I mean, all of the other manufacturing facilities in Toledo, 
they were legion and and we couldn't get enough workers uh, we couldn't you know we couldn't build fast enough we couldn't build enough housing and etc and so jazz was right there every night i mean these workers needed to be entertained and and you know this music was a tremendous part of their lives and we've lost sight of that we had some uh, some other incredible names, and I think we both we lost a, a couple of them in a, in a very short period of time uh, a couple of years ago. Stanley Cowell and also Clifford Murphy, who people are probably a little bit more familiar mm-hmm. with from um, with the, the the rebirth of jazz in the last handful of weeks. His name uh, Rusty's has been kicked around. Um, tell me about them a little bit. Well, yeah, and let's mention a couple of other names sure. while we're in that. Uh, one one guy who who is very very well respected in jazz right now and and is probably among the top 10 jazz pianists in, in america is larry fuller and this this guy is playing right now in in new york and he plays around the world and in japan and in europe and and i mean he this guy swings with the best of them and and he grew up in toledo went to central catholic high school and was actually in the murphy's you mentioned Clifford Murphy mm-hmm. when Claude when Claude Black, their pianist, was in Europe recording for quite a while. Uh, Larry Fuller was the pianist in the Murphys, and so he was really well educated. And even before that, Larry would claim his heritage. You know, his he was tutored by Candy Johnson at, and at, at Rusty's and elsewhere, and you know he lays a lot of. Uh, his his heritage, you know, coming from Toledo, being tutored by Candy Johnson, and and uh, you know he started at Rusty's. He was 16 years old, 15 years old, playing playing jazz piano. In fact, I spoke to Larry Fuller's one of his teachers, uh, a guy named Mark Keysweater, who was a pianist from Toledo. And I asked Mark, I said, you know, when did you start teaching uh, Larry? And his his almost his direct quote to me was. Oh man, Larry came into my place. I couldn't teach him anything. <laughs> he knew he knew it already, you know. And so, you know, in that vein, and 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 Larry is going to be here in April at Lucille. Excellent. And and he is a, he is. A, I mean, you're talking about a world class pianist. You're talking, you know, a guy like Larry Fuller. You really want to hear him live because he swings. I mean, he's he's just, you know, working with Murphy, Candy Johnson, and Toledo Clifford Murphy. All the guys in the Murphys, Rusty's basically growing up on the keyboard at Rusty's. I mean, oh my God, you know, Larry is great. He's phenomenal. Uh, So, you know, I would say that that's where we start. But Clifford Murphy, Claude Black, I mean, these guys are legendary in Toledo. Claude Black was Aretha Franklin's first uh, musical director. And uh, he's, he's amazing. I, uh, it was amazing. I, I moved here uh, the beginning of 2013, and as I got to know my, I, I lived right downtown on, on St. Clair Street, and uh, I had told my neighbors, "Yeah, I've gotten into to jazz music. I like the scene. I like the vibe." Uh, and they said, "You would have loved it here a couple of years ago." Uh, I got here right after a lot of the the final places closed up. How come those places did close up? And I mean, we were really dormant for jazz centric venues for like almost a good decade or so. Yeah, well, I mean, um, Murphy's, you know, the Murphy's, the band, the Murphy's, uh, you know, started as a road band, and and uh, they got an offer from a place called Digby's to sign a long-term contract to, you know, come back to Toledo and settle down, and and so they did, and uh, 
they, and so Digby's had jazz for all these years, and then Clifford always wanted his own club, Clifford Murphy. Mm-hmm. So they opened on Madison, uh, you know, and I think it was 90, 91 maybe, 90, and, and uh, you know, where the brick bar is right now. And, and, uh, and then Digby's closed, and, and Murphy jumped on that, uh, that location. Jo- Joan Russell was Murphy's wife, and she was, uh, you know, the, the unseen part of the Murphys. I mean, she was a, a manager, and she actually made their costumes and all the, all that stuff when when they were on the road, and you know, and and they when they saw that space open up over there at on Water Street, they just boom, they, you know, they they moved and that club opened, and it was you know just a mainstay of jazz in downtown Toledo. And before that, we had Rusty's Jazz Cafe on Tedro and in uh, the South Toledo. And that was when it was operating. Rusty's was the third oldest jazz club in America. Uh, and, and Rusty, I mean, she embodied, you know, jazz. She, she tutored, you know, uh, brought all the young, the young guys along. She, you know, if somebody was new, she had her house band and she always tried to, you know, integrate those folks in and get, get them a little time to play. And, and she brought in the biggest names you could imagine. Um, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, Ellis, Marcellus, Winton, I mean, you know, uh, Cannonball, Adderley, all these guys, you know, and, and Eddie Abrams was a house pianist there for a long time, and he knew everybody, you know, and, and her, her and Rusty and Eddie were just such good friends, and they worked so well together. Um, Gene Parker then became, you know, part of the Rusty's establishment, and, and it was just, you know, what a place. I mean, every night. You know, and then it was the hangout for for all the musicians. I mean, when you were done with a gig, you hung out at Rusty's, and and you you know any night, you, you don't know who you'd see in that place. Year, um, years later, like transporting ourselves to to now, what yep. what was what was your grin like when you first found out about um, Lucille's and and then also you know the Brick Bar embracing things in a, in, a, in a in a historic spot? How you must have been so delighted. Oh yeah, I mean, those, I was you know over the moon about <laughs> both of them, and uh, I, I still remember. Uh, I think it was um, local jazz fan Jeff Jaffe called me and you know was, told me about this Lucille's and and I got the number and I I called Will Lucas at that time and I went in in the club. The whole place was you know it was a shell at that point, and you could see all the potential. I mean, it was just a, a big space with a lot of you know, a lot of potential and, you know, Will seemed to have a really good idea and focus on what he wanted to do and jazz at the center of it and, and Lucille's and, and, you know, as the club took shape, you know, I visited many times and, and I was just, yeah, this is, this is, this is great, you know, and, and then he opened it and it's, it's everything, you know, I ever thought it should be, you know, in terms of a jazz club, it's, he's got clean lines and, uh, kind of like that, that little bit of art deco retro thirties feel. Um, it's, it's elegant, but not, not so modern that it's, you know, like some kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, thing from the 20th century. It's more of like a early 20th century setup in there and it's really cool. And, and they, they bring in great music and it's all focused. It's all focused on jazz. I mean, there's no distractions on the walls, no TVs blaring, no, you know, 
extraneous pictures, that type of thing. And, and that's all. When it starts, man, it's about the music. It's great. It's when, wonderful. Uh, when I did get here, I, uh, I was a friend took me to Degage and they had incredible food, but also it was a place where I could get the, the music and the vibe um, that I was looking for. And I... Like you must have felt when a lot of these places closed up. Granted, it was a very, it was a much shorter period of time for me, but I was, I was heartbroken in some ways when Degage closed up again. One for the food, but also the music, because we had become, as far as venues that embraced jazz regularly, it became like a, a barren land. It was, I was, I was sad. I was very upset. Yeah, I mean, Degage was a great jazz gig. I mean, it wasn't giant, wasn't a big place. Obviously, you've been in there. But it was a nice, intimate setting. You, you know, there wasn't a bad seat in the house. And, and when the band played, you could really hear every instrument and, you know, watch the expressions on, on the guys' faces or, or the vocalists. And, and it was really a neat venue. Great food, too, by the way. Absolutely. And then, and then upstairs, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is upstairs from Degage was uh, another hall, and I forget its name, but, you know, when you had a bigger jazz uh, name in, you, they would have them up in the hall and, you know, fill that place up. And that was a really nice touch. Uh, and, and uh, you know, but Degage, was, you know, everybody was friendly there. It was a nice place. And uh, people were really depressed when it closed because we, we kind of lost our, our jazz yeah. focus. Now, there was one other place going at that time that was a really cool jazz gig. Uh, Gene Parker, for over a decade, had a really cool gig out out at the uh, uh, um, uh, sorry I'm, I'm drawing a blank in my mind uh, the uh, Holiday and French Quarter yeah at, uh, and and he had a gig there in the bar for years and you know every every week on, on Sunday they would have this this Sunday jazz brunch and it was a real hoot you know because people would just stop in and, and kind of sit in and, and and Gene was always he always had you know tried to get a young person to come in who was up and coming, like a young vocalist like Lauren Smith, who's a youngster from Toledo, who has a, a bright future ahead of her, you know, this type of thing. And, you know, I mean, one day I was in there, uh, I came in on a Sunday, and uh, they bring in this drummer, and it was, it, his name was George Schuler, but it's Gunther Schuler's uh, son, and Gunther Schuler wrote one of the premier tomes on, on jazz history, you know, um, called from jazz to swing and, and I got to talk with his son and you know we, we talked about various historical things that was and that was just out of the blue you know stuff like it was a great gig and you know Gene's been a major major part of the jazz scene uh, you know and there was another club maybe a little before your time um, we're going to get our jeans but Gene Holden ran a club called Gene's Cabaret and Cafe and what you want to talk about a great venue she had this uh, the Steinway, and the whole deal was you would you'd sit kind of around the Steinway in, in these tables, and she would entertain you all night, you know, with with standards. And it, it was a great club. And Gene Holden's been, you know, performing in Toledo since the well since their sixties. You know, she performed at the Park Lane with Stanley Cowell when they were both when Stanley before he was famous. And you know, Gene's amazing. Uh, we've got Ramona Collins yeah. right now, and Ramona is just. Uh, I mean, if you haven't seen one of Ramona's shows, you know, you're, you're really missing out. Yep. She puts on a great show. I mean, her Solheim, her Solheim Cup show, 
in, in some ways, I think, had a better crowd than Gwen Stefani. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't as big. Those people were just going. I mean, they were really into her show. She's great. And, She's absolutely incredible. She is, uh, I would, if, if, as I try to beat the jazz drum or play the piano, I tell people she's the gateway because she's here, she's accessible. Go see her and you'll fall in love. Oh, yeah, you would. I, I just saw her this weekend. At She uh, she, she filled the house at the Blue Llama uh, and I went up there for her Valentine's show and it was had to be one of the most memorable shows she's ever put on. I mean, they the, the, the crowd just just you know they about lost it and she's so good with the crowd you know and and what an excellent vocalist you know she covers the she covers the whole gamut you know and it, people just love her and that that quartet that she's put together those guys are they are just swinging you know they're great um, and so we've got that i don't want to keep you too much longer i, I greatly appreciate your time and and i this was uh I was very much looking forward to hearing you just talk and share these stories, and thank you for doing that. Um, tell me a little bit about the book. Well, uh, the the book is going to be at this juncture about I would say maybe twelve, fourteen chapters, and we're going to look heavily at the history aspect, the early years. We're going to really go into that, uh, look at the how and why and when. And then, uh, you know, delve heavily into Tatum and that, that subject from a Toledo perspective, not the whole, you know, other books go into this New York thing, which is important, but what did he do in Toledo and why? That's really important. We're going to look at John Hendricks, of course, and then, you know, the father, one of the fathers of vocalese. Then we're going to look at all these other people I've spent the last I don't know, five years interviewing many of the people associated with jazz in Toledo. So I'm going to try and integrate in, integrate them in the later chapters. I really would like to look at the women of jazz in Toledo. Uh, they were very important, very overlooked, and, and some of the other people that we might not have heard of. And uh, one thing I did want to correct earlier that we, we uh, talked about, uh, you know, Toledo's premier jazz club prior to Rusty's would have been the Waiters and Bellman's Club, and that that is one of the most important clubs in Toledo's history. Uh, this is a place where Art Tatum and John Hendricks performed together. You know, Louis Armstrong was there. Uh, all the Count Basie, all these people, when they came to Toledo, they went to the Waiters and Bellman's Club. It was an African American run club on Indiana Avenue, and it. it it was the place, if you wanted to see jazz and hear jazz, that would have been the place to go in Toledo, even above all the other clubs we talked about. Floor shows every night, three you know, three shows, and just an amazing venue. And I'm, I'm going to really go into this as much as I can in the book. Unfortunately, the flip side of all this is many of these people have passed away, and it's hard to get accurate knowledge, uh, accurate interviews, and ac- accurate information and so that's a that's been a, a big challenge in the book. Have you come and, across? Do, do you know Ted Long? He I, I mentioned him yeah. to you. Ted is great. Uh, your Toledo Jazzopedia. I call Ted Toledopedia. He yeah. is he is also one of my favorite podcast guests. And whenever I uh, I come across like I, I as soon as I saw your name in the Blade article at the end of last year, I reached out to Ted because Ted's my conduit to grab some of these people. And you two together, my, I hope he's been able to to be helpful in any way. Um, if he can help dig up some information, if there's anybody that can help dig up information you're looking for, it's got to be Ted. 
Yeah, he, he's. He, I, I talked to him once. We've done some emailing, and and he's a he's a really nice fella. Yeah, and and uh, but he, he like he like you know runs into the same thing I did. You know, some of these older venues, people weren't interested in taking pictures or recording for whatever reason, and and so we you know we 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 lose a bit of that history. Uh, I mean, I've I've managed to get a few. Uh, you know, a few uh, very, very interesting things for my book. And I've got, I think the Art Tatum chapter will be uh, nationally important, by the way. I, I, will, I will unveil some things in there that I think have never been discussed or seen before. And it will hopefully expand the scholarship on our Art Tatum when I'm done with that. What's the timeline and, for the for the book release? Well, I, I'm, I'm hoping to finish it this year. And I would like to get it out in 23 or 24. It would depend on negotiations with publishers. Uh, I had something fall through with a, a previous publisher. I, I intend to approach another one. And if worse comes to worse, I'll do it myself. I'd rather not. But, uh, you know, that, that's where that stands. Um, and uh, to give you an idea of the book, and, and one of the things why I got started, the whole website and the book and all that, uh, to my knowledge... To my knowledge, there are no photos of Art Tatum performing in Toledo, at least in the public realm. And that's just a, a, a tragedy. Um, in the uh, in the meantime, uh, you're the web. What's the website? And are you doing the? You still do the newsletter? Oh yeah, I do the newsletter. Uh, it comes out once a month, usually at the top of the month. Uh, the the newsletter you can subscribe. It's uh, uh, you know you send me an email. Uh, Doug at ToledoJazz.net and the website is www.ToledoJazz.net and and I, I publish uh, photos of jazz there and we, you know, I have a lot of people who feed me information about different gigs and this and that and, and uh, you know, we, we're just trying to push the jazz agenda and, and you know, keep Toledo in, in, you know, going and you know, one of the other historically historically important things we have in Toledo and jazz going right now today, and very historical, is Scott High School, and they have a jazz radio station at, at Scott High School, and it is, I believe, the oldest jazz radio student-run jazz radio station in, in, in the state, if not in the country. I never and, knew that. I never knew that. Oh, yeah. Uh, is, oh, it, yeah. is it online? Can I access uh-huh. it online? Yeah, uh, WXTS, and and they're they're on uh, they they have a, a little streaming portal, and you you can um, you can listen to it. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I think they have certain broadcast hours since it's. Uh, I mean, it's Monday through. I mean, it's every day, but uh, I think they share some of that bandwidth with UT. Uh, you know, and, and uh, but they you can listen to it all the time, and they have a. I think it's. Uh, 88.3 FM and it's that is a very historic uh, institution in and of itself but the jazz radio station there I think there's only two in the state now uh, student student related jazz radio stations and very few left in the country and so I, I hope we can preserve that over time and you know that would be a shame if we ever lost that but uh, man what a place I mean you know and and I, I could go on about jazz in Toledo, and, but you, you know, oh, well, this, it's, it's a great place, man. This, I mean, you 
This is why I wanted to have you on. Yeah, you, as soon as I saw your, your name and, and Jazz's story, and I, I was excited to reach out to you because, again, I'm on this buzz and I'm trying to scream to whoever I can, people like me. But again, you know, just because I, I work at a pop radio station and um, this is a part of Toledo, it, as you have illustrated, uh, it always yep. has been. It might have been a little overlooked, but any way that I can push people in the direction of the Ramona Collins and the Toll House and Brick Bar and, and other things will mm-hmm. inevitably pop up. Um, so however I can help um, evangelize yeah. th- this incredible cause, I'm all for it. And I can't thank you enough for the time. Um, yeah. I, I said earlier, I wanted to introduce the, the the podcast thing. There's nobody that knows more about something in Toledo than you. And you have absolutely lived up to that, at least in my eyes. You are a true encyclopedia. Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to help. And, and one last thing sure. I should mention of super historical note in Toledo, and sometimes we save the best for last, so to speak. Uh, we have in Toledo, uh, we have the Cakewalk and Jazz Band in Toledo, and they've been playing here for 54, this will be 55 years this December. And I believe nationally they're the most respected and well-known um, D- Dixieland Jazz Band in the country. And they, they played at Tony Paco's for something like over 30 years every week. And, and uh, you know, Ray Hiker is the leader of the band. And, uh, you know, this is something not to be missed because these guys, I mean, Ray Hiker played with some of the founders of jazz. I mean, w- they were older guys, but he played down in, in New Orleans, I, I think, at uh, a couple of the clubs. And he actually sat in with these guys. And I don't believe there's anybody else left in Toledo or maybe in the country that can say that. It's a special place we have here. Thanks for uncovering a lot of this. Um, again, there, there's a lot of great things about Toledo. People are recognizing it. Uh, we have people in our community now building up places like the library and the art museum, but there's a lot more greatness and history here. And thanks for shedding a light on a lot of it, Doug. Cool. Great. Well, I'm, I hope that there's a lot more to it, but I hope we got to what you needed today. Yes. And if there's yes. anything else I can help you with, you know, get Feel free to call me. I appreciate it, Eric. I, I will. I'm gonna. Um, I'm gonna make sure. Grab my email address and please put it on the newsletter list. I'll do so. Okay. I will. That, that's the one you sent me. Yes. Yeah. The Eric Chase seven nine one. Yeah. I'll, awesome. We'll, we'll do it. Thanks for the okay, chat. Uh, be well, and we'll talk soon. All right, Eric. Thanks a lot, Thank man. You, Bye now. The new Q105, let me catch up with my friend Chelsea from Downtown Perrysburg, Inc., because Winterfest is back this weekend, even with a little winter weather, right? Yes, it's very unusual. Typically, we have some kind of element, and it's usually not winter weather. <laughs> yeah, it's been like in the 50-some years for it, um, but I'm glad that Downtown Perrysburg, Inc. has brought this back. And the ice carvings are always the biggest draw, right? Yes, we are so excited. We have so many ice carvings from local businesses this year. I think we're over 20, 25, 30. Um, they just keep coming in and you know everyone's been so excited to do interactive ice and cool stuff so you can take your picture in ice and ice carving live ice carvings and all kinds of stuff going on did i see something about it is it paper airplanes as well yeah so paper airplanes um it's just it kind of became like a message across the river and it's just kind of a cool way of interacting with the kids with the dash so they can make paper airplanes and it's kind of incorporating the against the wind sculpture with, you know, the kids and Winterfest. Awesome. And since it's been a couple of years, there's probably a couple of new spots in downtown Perrysburg that people might not have been to before. Uh, uh, like inside the five, maybe? Yeah, there's all kinds of things happening downtown. Um, I mean, inside the five is new. We have Dora. So you can enjoy Dora um, up and down watching the sculptures and all kinds of things. Um, we'll have like a kid slide and... Um, 
decorating of cookies from Penna. Um, everything is basically, it's free. So you're gonna do meet and greets with the Winter Sisters and Paw Patrol and um, just so much happening downtown that we're really excited. There's even gonna be a scavenger hunt and we used Mayor Mackin as our muse. <laughs> so it's Where's Mackin and you can win walleye tickets. Awesome. 11 to 3 Saturday. Uh, any kind of like uh, later on in the evening or early evening things going on if anybody wants to continue their Dora-ing? You know, we don't have any evening events because we kind of nixed everything this year due to gathering and safety precautions. But um, you're more than welcome to stay down and hang out at Swig or, you know, go to Stella's and they have a margarita, I think a signature for, um, for Winterfest. So everyone's just kind of on board and excited to have everyone downtown again. If you're making downtown Toledo part of your weekend. Something that you love with a C is there and I'll tell you about it in 15 minutes on the new Q105.